everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hot Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. And today's show is entitled, A Day in the Life of a Developer. Software is eating the world. While artificial intelligence is making progress, this software ain't going to write itself. That's what software developers do. So curious to learn what it's like to work as a software developer in different types of companies? Well, the role has grown exp exponentially to cover an array of dif different functions from DevOps to cybersecurity to web developer. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time fan of our podcast, let me explain how this show is going to work since we're doing things a little bit differently than normal. We're recording this during the TechSquare Job Fair Spring 2018 series as part of the March 6th Mentor Circle. And all of this is made possible by our partners at ATDC and Choose ATL. We're really thankful for them. And we've assembled 12 software developers to interact with our job seekers tonight uh, to find out what it's really like to, to work in this job in a different amount of settings. So I'm going to start by putting each mentor in the hot seat in a very short amount of time to answer my single question. Then we're going to turn to the burning questions our job seekers have submitted for the roundtable to wrestle with. That's wrestle with a question, not the questioner, please. Um, and after about 30 minutes of all that, we'll wrap up the recording and move to an off-the-record speed mentoring for our live audience and mentors. So if you're interested in the TechSquare Job Fair, go to techsquarejobfair.com, learn more about what we do. We've got programs year-round, and we'd love to have you. So we're excited to have developers from a right, uh, range of companies, including Honeywell and Keysight, along with ATDC startups like Florence Healthcare and Sidekick. I'll introduce each of them as part of the hot seat round. So let's get started. You guys ready for this? Okay, so let's uh, get started with Melissa Griffin, Keysight Technologies. Uh, she is uh, here representing uh, the idea. She, she's moved recently to a new job, uh, new role. She can talk more about that later. But uh, my question for everyone on the hot seat right now is, Melissa, what advice would you give your young developer self? Okay, it's really simple idea, but learn to write good unit tests. I cannot explain to you how important it is um, in test-driven development and making code that is uh, easy to use, readable, and maintainable. Excellent. Awesome. All right, let's move over to Vincent Haynes with Honeywell. I'll get it right here. You're right next to me. Uh, Vincent's a returning. He was on our podcast before. We're excited to have him back. Uh, here you go, Vincent. Same question. Your advice to your younger developer self. Uh, so for just do it, apply. I, when you look at these job postings, there's just tons and tons of wish, a wish list of skills that they would like. And at the end of the day, if you have learned enough, just do it, apply, and try to go through the process and try to get your first job. Awesome. Thank you, Vincent. All right, over to Carl Bedenfeld with AT&T Foundry. What is your answer to advice to your younger developer self? You're going to hate me, but I have two. Excellent, I'm, go I'm for it. I'm tempted to say... If I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. That's really good advice. But my serious answer, well, is increase diversity in all aspects of your life. The friends you hang out with, the activities you do, the coding tools you use, what you read, what you contemplate, and even your jobs. Hmm. Sound advice. All right, let me go to my right side here. I've got Kevin Carlson with Florence Healthcare. Your advice to your younger, younger self. Uh, I think I would say uh, avoid towers of knowledge. Uh, the more uh, knowledge is distributed across your team, the faster and more flexibly uh, you can attack problems as they arise. All right. Why don't we go next to uh, Nicholas P. Nicholas P. from France. So my advice would be just 
practice and you know get better along the way and just find a project do something improve upon it and you know little by little you get knowledge skills and then you're a developer <laughs> Ben have we hit you yet Ben Hirsch not. with sidekick your answer um, ask, ask a horrifying amount of questions. Like really be on the verge of driving everyone around you a little bit insane. Like just on the side of it that they're still willing to help you. Because any company is gonna have a, just a ton of stuff that no one outside of the company is going to know. And especially as a junior developer, you're not hired to know that stuff, you're hired to learn that stuff. And if you don't ask for help, you'll find yourself spending uh, hours or weeks on things that should take you know, minutes or days. Um, I know that I have, and I was no smarter for my individual effort than I would have been for having gotten uh, you know, a good explanation from one of the people around me who knew more than I did. So ask tons of questions. All right, let's go to Sage over there. Sage Gerard with Evident. Your advice to your younger self, Sage? To stay focused. One of the things about software is that it's an enormously beautiful uh, practice that make, gives you all sorts of reasons to stay passionate. But it's also easy to get distracted. You find so many things to learn and you stop doing the one thing that caught your attention to work on something else. But the more you do that, the more you lose track of what keeps you going, creating beautiful products and helping people become the most powerful versions of themselves, and even to make things that would help people become more powerful than even civilizations before could ever dream of. Fabulous. All right, let's get over to uh, Kevin Gibby with Keysight. I would say that um, you need to have a specialization. So if whether that's embedded systems or websites or uh, or you know whatever your 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 talent and passion is, but you also need to have uh, a a knowledge of of breadth. Like you need to know, like if you're an embedded guy working with C plus plus, bit twiddling all day long, and that's your passion, you also need to know, like what like how to build a website. Like that's a pretty basic thing. You need to know how to do that. Um, so you need to have a depth of a passion. But you also need to have breadth. So be, you know, go out there, make a, you know, AI. Go out there, do something other, just to so you know what it is and how it works. Uh, but also have that passion. Awesome. Well, we've got a guy who's come through the process of coming through the TechSquare job fair, working the TechSquare job fair with his company, and now he's a mentor. Eric Pay with Fixed. What do you got? Uh, so I would say just don't be afraid to dive in. So if you're a student, you're going to be looking for a job in a few years. Uh, you know, especially if you're going through tech, it's really easy to get buried in schoolwork and everything like that. But my advice would just be, if you have an idea, go work on it. Don't be afraid to just dive in, even if you have no idea what you're doing, because the things that you learn along the way, those things turn into skills that when you're in an interview, it's when I ask you something, it's like, oh yeah, I built this thing and it did this thing. And, it's, and, 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 and those are the things that make you stand out from someone who just has an academic knowledge but no practical skills. So. Good stuff. All right, let's go over to Peter Finn with Sales Loft. All right, I'll be quick. Uh, everybody else has been focusing on a lot of code things. I just want to say networking. Everybody undervalues networking. It's amazing. It's made my career go places I never thought it would. So do networking and tell people what you're good at. Uh, and also Glassdoor.com is practical. Use Glassdoor. 
don't walk into an interview not knowing something. You need to know everything about every company you ever interview at. So don't, educate yourself. <laughs> You're talking about people networking, not systems networking. Yeah. All right, just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> exactly. All right, we got Damian Starosilski. How was that? Was that closer? No. Very good, very good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> He's with Evident. Yeah, Starman. So we'll go with Starman. The advice I'd give myself would be to resist the urge to uh, unnecessarily complicate solutions. Uh, it's, it's really easy to get into a mode, and, and, and software engineers, they're typically very proud of their craft, and, and, and they want to show it off. They want to show that they can really optimize in this direction and this other direction, and sometimes that comes at the expense of one of the most important things there is, which is code maintainability. So usually, more often than not, the simpler solution is the better solution. So that's, that's really what I, I would tell my younger self. Awesome, let's finish up with Jeremy Hale with Sidekick uh, as our anchor leg on this uh, marathon hot seat. Cool, yeah, I think um, I would say to pick up a couple of side projects or go to hackathons, just don't expect everything to come through your school or your job, I think the best um, the best developers that I encounter always have something going on on the side where, you know, that's a way to grow what technologies you know, what, what you know, get more exposure than just what you're getting through your day-to-day, -day, um, as well as meeting other people in the community, which can open up other opportunities and, and things as well. Fabulous. All right. Well, that does, that's the hot seat round. Thank you guys for answering uh, those, uh, that question. Let's move on to our burning questions that our job seekers here have uh, submitted. Um, uh, I've got a question from Jose uh, Calvillo. What was your biggest obstacle when you were first getting started as a software developer? Anyone inspired to grab the mic? Again. Just getting interviews is so, I can't believe how hard it is to get an interview as a junior developer. My girlfriend just graduated and she's, much like you guys, just getting started. It's like, if, you know, everybody needs a software developer, but nobody wants to hire a junior engineer. So what I would recommend is that uh, to get over that hurdle, this incredibly hard hurdle of getting your first job, just getting an interview, uh, pick up some side projects, do something on the side, get good at something, you know. Awesome. So for me, one of the big hurdles was, um, this is happening less now, because there's so much open source um, uh, software available, and, and code bases are are getting smaller, uh, I think that's a tendency, but uh, to go from school projects that had maybe a couple thousand lines of code to my first job, uh, you know, maintaining a code base of, you know, 750,000 lines, that was, uh, that was way, went way over my, my head. And I remember having nightmares and dreams about code and, and, and getting over that was, uh, yeah, it was something. Let me go over to Melissa, same question. Um, and and I, I just want to acknowledge the obvious thing. She's our only female developer I've got on the circle. I uh, reached out to a number of people, but uh, my, uh, my, my ratio is not that high. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here to represent all of women developers. <laughs> so no pressure, Melissa. And uh, everyone, listen, I'll try harder next time to make sure the ratio is better. I'm very conscious about that. So Melissa, what was the biggest obstacle that you faced coming in? Okay, so my just as a just as a developer. Yeah, mine's so. dumb. I squash to develop. I don't know if you guys know what that means. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? So generally, when you do a pull request, like you've probably made like eight commits, um, you want to squash that so that your commit history 
is shorter when it goes on to develop. So when we were merging into master, I was like, oh, I need to squash develop because I'm merging into master. No. So that erases everyone's history. <laughs> yeah. um, so you think you understand Git, <laughs> but you don't. Yes, know that you're wrong. Ask a million times before you do something, especially in the beginning. Um, that honestly, that was the biggest thing that stands out to me. Wow. <laughs> it's fine now, but. <laughs> <laughs> Many years of therapy. Yeah. It's good. Other, other folks inspired by the question? Should we go to the next one? I think this is, Marina, I think this is yours. Uh, what is the most desirable frameworks to know? As a front-end developer, as a front-end developer. Oh. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually going to challenge the question a little bit. Y you're going to find out over many years of dealing with frameworks being flavors of the month that you're going to learn that the industry is so fashion-driven and that none of it matters. But, one, but if you wanted to get into something that makes it marketable, uh, you're going to want to pick the one that will get you a job pretty quickly. So, of course, you can pick React, you can pick Angular, you can pick the ones that people are going to because people are going to be looking for it. So, definitely invest some time in looking at the ones that have high market share, if only to get you in the door with a job that will make you happy and give you some experience with the technology. But really, the best framework that will last you for a long time is the one that most closely fits your problem domain, what most closely fits what you need to do, and more often than not, that's your own code, not what somebody gave you. Hey, what's up? I host the Vue Meetup in Atlanta. Come to my meetup. Uh, Vue is a new JavaScript framework. <coughs> uh, it doesn't matter what framework you use, because whichever one you choose will be the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> so just learn JavaScript. I would just echo that sentiment, right? There's so many people uh, that get really focused on learning the, this framework or that framework, but what really matters at the end of the day is the underlying knowledge and showing that you're the kind of person that could pick up any framework. Add to, anybody? All right. Challenge, Vincent? No? All right. Challenge the challenge? No, i tell you what it is. All right. All right, so uh, Nente Chance. Did I get that right, Nente? Nente? All right. Nente, Nente. Thank you very much, Nente. Um, what has been your best interaction, software, I'm sorry, best interaction when working in engineering, whether it be software, electrical, any, whatever engineering. So what has been your best interaction when working in an engineering field? On a team. On a team. Uh, this is going to be a ponder question for a second. <laughs> so those, those listening on, on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, everyone on the circle's eyes went into the air. <laughs> And looked off into the distance. So, so I don't know if this will count or not, but uh, uh, many years ago when the internet bubble was happening, a lot of people from my large telephone company, technically I guess still exists, uh, left to go do work uh, in some of those places to make a ton of money. And many of them came back later with not, not so much. But I had a close friend, and he and I decided we wanted to stay in the big phone company, but we also wanted to have an in-house startup. And we did, and we took, we had fun with it. We, uh, we gave it a name, we got business cards, we got a logo, and for 14 years I led an innovation group that was started with that, that thing. He, he wound up being a vice president in the intellectual property group because he was so successful at it, but I, I think I had more fun. 
<laughs> he is the master of bass, by the way. He does play. Uh, other other answers. Best interaction when working in engineering. Stumper. One time at a Strange Loop conference, I made a joke about graph theory, and people laughed. <laughs> that was a positive experience. The fact that you got to laugh about people laughing, I, that's, that says a lot. Yeah. It says a lot. I promise I won't answer the next question. Um, I would say my, my best interaction was actually my interview at SalesLoft um, because I realized, can I curse? Yeah, you can. So I realized that I started, I realized immediately like, oh my God, this is the first company I've ever interviewed at where they actually give a shit about human beings. Um, like they have, you know, we have these core values, but I could immediately tell when I interviewed there that everybody lived those core values and they were nice people and they didn't hire people specifically based on their attitudes. Um, so that, you know, that's another piece of advice. Don't work for a company that's going to treat you like a machine. You know, be be a human. Cool. I do have one. So it's uh, when I started as an intern with Carl over there. Um, so my positive experience was that I was treated as a member of the team, as a full member of the team, even if it was just like the youngest, the newest, that didn't know anything. But I was given a real project just a part of the real project and I was asking questions to all those people as was said earlier to the point of nearly driving them crazy but not quite and you know everyone responded and everyone welcomed you to the team so that's that was good <laughs> one of my positive experiences was uh, my first internship and uh, after a couple months working with the code base the full-time developers were coming to me and asking me questions of, how does this work? And I would answer them. And they would go, well, that's, that's not how I thought it worked. And I was like, well, that's how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and, and this happened a couple of times. And I, I realized that, oh, hey, wait a second. I'm now a developer. <laughs> like, I, I actually, I'm actually doing this. Like, I'm getting paid for it. And I'm, I'm actually the, the number one expert on this particular piece of code on the entire company. No one else knows about this more than I do. That was a pretty cool experience. I'd say that the most positive interaction had to be in contrast to a previous experience. I used to be in a super corporate contract, contract roles and the teams were very, uh, had a lot of blame storming going on, a lot of dysfunction. But then I moved to another team, it was much larger. And at one point I was faced with a problem and I did what I was used to doing. I would go over to my immediate supervisor and I would basically uh, propose a solution almost as if I was asking their permission to uh, see if we could go through with it. Because that's what happens a lot in the very corporate environments. But the, this one turned around and said, you know what, I trust you. And I was stunned. And uh, it, it was a beautiful thing because it made it easy to reciprocate. When you uh, learning to delegate and to trust people to come up with the right thing means that they'll be that more dedicated to do the right thing and to make sure that the entire solution is working because trust speaks volumes. Um, I don't know if this is specifically engineering oriented, but it, with a, one of the first startups I was at, we ended up having a board member come in one time and he sat everybody down and just said, hey, we're going to go around the room, take as long as you want, and just tell us where did you come from, 
Um, how did you get into, you know, doing, you know, how did you get into doing what you're doing now? And everybody kind of went through kind of almost like their life story and said, you know, hey, this is where I'm from. Here's my family. Here's how I got into doing what I'm doing now. Here's how I ended up where I am. And I realized, you know, as we went around the room that I've been sitting next to these people working with them for a year, two years, whatever, and had none of this knowledge, right? And I think that a lot of times we're so absorbed in the work that we do. Um, that we you know, we forget to kind of really get to know the people sitting around us, and so you know that, that was definitely an interaction for me that had a bit big impact. And I think about now in terms of just really trying to make sure I get to know the people that I work with, you know, as people, and and you know, really, I think it's so important who you work with and viewing them really as like family. So let me go to Vincent and go to Eric. The same question is that you're you're in Honeywell, big company, and then Eric's in a, in a startup that's blown up. So what, what's your uh, experience so far? So for me, it was the first time that I talked to a customer using code that I had written and hearing feedback of what, how much value it was adding and what, 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 it, was, what it made, made their life easier and seeing that the impact and how much power and potential you're able to make the world better. Uh, that first time that that happened was really a powerful moment for me and an affirmation that I had chose the right career path. Um, I would say, huh. It really blew my mind the first time uh, I saw a YouTube video of somebody who was using my app for the first time and giving like a review, right? And they're like pressing all these buttons and doing all of these things. And it was just mind blowing to me to like, just to see somebody else use it. And uh, I mean, that's what I find like rewarding, fulfilling is like making something that solves somebody else's problem and just makes their day better, so. Everyone get in on that one? Anyone not get in on this question yet? Damon, have you done? Have you answered the questions? I haven't. Let's get them. I want to. <laughs> let's get them. I feel like I would leave you out, and we feel bad. I, I would say one of, one of the best highs I get out of uh, the the whole software engineering experience is whenever we have uh, we go through the process of hiring a new member, and you, you kind of know during the interview, but you don't really know until they they get on the job and and they start you know they start producing and interacting and. Once you get the first indications that you've, you've hired uh, an A player, a star, another star in the team, that's one of the best feelings, I would say, uh, in, in software engineering. Nice. All right. Did you get in, Kevin? I think you did. Yeah, good, 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 good. Making sure. I don't want to leave anyone out here. I'm not very inclusive anyway, so sometimes uh, I forget somebody. So uh, this one, uh, not, not any, uh, no, no, no weapons come out on this one, okay? Rupa Reddy, who was our very first uh, attendee tonight to check in, has a question. Is Python going to replace Java? <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> like, like I said, please don't hurt each other. <laughs> Who's got an answer to this question? That they want to share. That you want to share. <laughs> that you want so I personally love Python. It's a, it's a language that I go to first when I'm prototyping or building something. But I think to reiterate when we were talking about frameworks, that you choose the tool for the job and not necessarily find make the job work with your tool. And Python has a lot of things that are really good about it for solving certain types of problems. And Java has, has a long, steady history of being a great tool for building large enterprise software, which is something Python struggles with, being dynamic, and hard to maintain for the very, very large code bases. So at the end of the day, it really depends on what you're trying to do. And they both have their place. And as Java 
isn't having the same hype because AI is huge and all these other things that Python is, is a sexy thing right now, doesn't mean that it's still not a valuable tool that solves valuable problems. <laughs> I think the short answer is no. Uh, Python would not replace Java. And I actually would draw an analogy from uh, the same question, but with the two uh, other languages. I actually worked at a job where they have a legacy system written in Dybal, which is a proprietary variant of COBOL. Still maintained, still working. And this is a decades-old implementation, very uh, with weird decisions, and it doesn't even fit the problem domain it's solving anymore, but because of the vast use and the very strong dependency from the customers, it's not going anywhere. And similarly, uh, you saw even there's popularity in Rust. It's not going to replace C, but it's still competing at the systems level language, right? For the same reason, Python's not going to replace Java. The existing ecosystem doesn't just go away. It's going to remain, maybe at a lower market share, but it is going to be dependent on for decades to come. I'm going to comment without necessarily answering the specific question. Just, just a, a warning. I don't think there. Uh, I don't think it's wise this day and age to be a single language developer anymore. Uh, it used to be the case that you could define yourself as a C developer, as a C++ developer. Those times are gone. You have to have some flexibility. You have to be good at one type safe language, one you know, uh, language like Node or Python, more rapid development. So keep yourself flexible. Avoid those, those you know, uh, conflicts of which language is better, which one is going to replace. Whatever it is, it's going to be different 10 years from now. So uh, keep yourself flexible. Yeah, but it's sorted. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, you have to pay extra to hear the history. I, I, I taught, both worth it. taught both basic and COBOL at the college level, which was pretty hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, and, wow. and COBOL, specific, basic, I think, mercifully has gone away. But uh, I mean, except as a historical artifact. But COBOL has not gone away. Uh, my sister works for a government organization. They still use a lot of COBOL. Uh, the, the thing that I was thinking about in, with respect to your comment, Damien, is that Damien? Yeah, uh, is that uh, we have some folks in the foundry who have developed a, a tool that they would like to pass over to our information technology organization, which has a new hipper name now. But uh, the problem is the person they're passing it to is a single language person. And it's not the language that they wrote it in. And so it's, caused, it's causing a significant problem in being able to hand this over. So uh, I think your advice is, is spot on there. And uh, I, I personally like Pearl, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, all right. Stuck that one in the, yeah. at the end. All right, so the, there's the final question for whoever wants to re, uh, uh, answer it. Um, aside from a salary, if you're doing development work, the question is, and I don't know who wrote it because I don't have a name on here, but how do you set your prices for your work? How do you set prices for your work? You can answer that, I guess, as a person, as a developer, or as a company. How do you price your work? Anybody price their work? <laughs> Melissa's got something here. Here we go. So I haven't done a lot of consulting. I can give you like the equation generally people tell you to do. is like basically take what you would want to be making in a year and figure that hourly out and like multiply it by two. But 
I would say look at what it's going to do, look at what they're asking you to do, and then decide if you're gonna spend 10 hours working on it, what would actually make it worth it for you, and just put that out there to those people. If, it's, if they're gonna give you something less than that, then it's not worth your time. It's about your sanity. Yeah, I think it's dead on. Uh, in, in no matter what your your uh, your yeah. skill set is, what what your your field is, uh, when you're pricing it out, usually good to double it, like you said, because yeah. <laughs> the the worst thing that they're going to say is no, and then you come down from that. <laughs> Not bad. Anybody uh, other answers? I just also want to like for the sanity thing. This is a great point. When you if you do freelance work or you do contracting, write a good contract. I'm still building an app for a nonprofit, and they stopped paying me six months ago because I wrote a bad contract. We'll end with that. <laughs> our next session's on the lawyers. We'll get the lawyers in. All right, so we, uh, we've run up to the end of our time here. Uh, so once again, a huge thank you to ATDC uh, and Tuesday Tail for the sponsorships. Our mentors, thank you guys very much for that. Every job seeker, and I should say before you go too far, uh, Carl Benfeld has just uh, notched a, a first in our podcast. He's our first back-to-back -back guest on a podcast. So uh, glad to have you. Hopefully you're coming back next week. You'll be three in a row, maybe. <laughs> so uh, uh, back to the thank yous. Our mentors, every job seeker that here tonight, everyone, and who, you who's listening online uh, on SoundCloud or iTunes. So for those, those of you joining online, check us out uh, on TechSquareATL.com when we um, post new episodes. Be sure to subscribe to our channel on iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you want to learn more about the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, check out TechSquareATL.com. So until you see the silhouette of a chair in the sky, this has been the hot seat. <laughs>